You're listening to Evolution Digital, where we talk about how various industries have adopted technology to stay relevant and competitive in today's digital market. I'm Tracy Sheckel. Welcome back. Today, my guest is Tim Brooks. Tim is Vice President of Corporate Marketing and Communications for the Maine Credit Union League and its service organization, Synergent. Tim, thanks for being here. Sure, Tracy. Happy to be. So can you tell us a little bit about your role with the organization and how Synergent came about? Because we all know that the Maine Credit Union League was here first. Yeah, certainly. You know, as Vice President of Corporate Marketing and Communications, I'm essentially in charge of marketing, well, and communications for both the Credit Union League and for Synergent. So on the league side, that is you know, mostly but not entirely you know, supporting the Credit Union League with what it needs. And Synergent is more sort of traditional marketing with trade shows and print advertising and that sort of thing. It's only marketing to credit unions, so you won't see their ads on television, but it is a lot of trade marketing. So can you describe what the Credit Union League does for credit unions in the state and then take that the next step and tell us what Synergent does for the Credit Union League and the credit unions in the state? Yeah, sure. So there are 55 credit unions in the state of Maine. And what the league does is support them with compliance and with advocacy. So we do state and federal advocacy on behalf of credit unions on, on issues that are important to those credit unions. But it's not just what we do for the credit unions, because the credit unions are all about supporting their communities as well. And so within the league, we run a large financial education program, including we have financial fitness fairs, which are educational events that take place in schools across the state. We've also actually started running them in prisons as well for individuals who are soon to be released. But since the beginning of the program in 2004, I believe, we've had over 65,000 students in Maine that have participated in financial fitness fairs in their schools. In a normal year, we probably have about 30 of those financial fitness fairs a year with about 7,500 students participating. But this is not a normal year. It's a bit more challenging. So we're working with our credit unions and the schools to find a way to hold financial fitness fairs virtually. There's a lot of virtual going on, including this interview. Normally, we'd be sitting in a studio together. Oh, well, that would have been nice too. But yeah. Yeah, the other thing that the league does that you may or may not know about is our campaign for ending hunger. Every credit union in the state participates in the campaign. And since 1990, we've raised over $9.5 million to help end hunger in the state of Maine, $832,000 last year alone. And we work with partners like Good Shepherd Food Bank and Full Plates, Full Potential, and 100% of the funds raised by the campaign, and it's, it's raised by the campaign, it's raised really by credit unions and their members, but 100% of it goes to helping feed individuals, families, and, and children around the state. So, you know, we're running into challenges again on that this year, so. That's fabulous, and I was just going to say, that's a admirable, admirable cause, and this year, you know, need it more than ever. Well, that's the tricky thing is that this year the the need is much higher, but the ability to raise money and provide food is is lower. So people can go to campaignforendinghunger.org and make a donation if they wanted to. It's the best way to raise money. 
I was going to ask you that that was going to be one of my next oh, questions. How can people help? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we did put together a website that credit unions can use and that individuals can use to, to raise money for the Ending Hunger campaign. And it is at campaignforendinghunger.org. I'm going to say it again, campaignforendinghunger.org. Correct. Let's take a little step back because I learned that you began your career as an attorney and then switched out of that to start an internet-based company in 1995. You want to tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, no, I was happily practicing law in 1995 and had been doing so. I started in D.C. and then had moved to Maine, was practicing law here, and then had an opportunity to start up an internet company. In 1995, you can imagine, it was pretty early in the internet days, but with another individual, we started a company and we provided dial-in modem service for people. And one of the crazy facts is that we had one modem line for every eight customers because you wouldn't expect anybody to be online very often. And so a single line was to serve eight individuals or businesses. And that company was here in Maine? Yes. Yeah. It's called New England Internet Services. It was here in Maine. So, you know, I left the law to start doing that. And I actually always thought that I would go back, but that was um, 25 years ago. And uh, it's not likely to happen at this point. And whatever happened to the company? Just curious. We sold that company in 1999. And it was doing internet service. And that was, you know, we had cable companies and things like that that were coming in at that point. So we saw the writing on the wall there and sold the company. We also were providing a lot of website development, which was a new thing, and uh, sold that part of the company as well. And I went to work for a marketing firm here in town. And then when the dot-com boom happened, I joined a a dot-com called gofish.com. It was helping people across the country, businesses across the country, buy and sell seafood online. It was a fascinating idea. It was a, a good thought at the time. Uh, you know, it was a dot com boom, but we also went through the dot com bust. And the crazy thing is that uh, you know what we were trying to do right, you know, back then, that people just weren't catching on to is now the uh, common way people buy and sell seafood. So we were just early. Because really, who would have thought that this we would be where we are? Which kind of brings me to the next thing I want to talk about. We started this podcast, I want to say, I don't know, last December, we started doing recordings. And so the tone of it has certainly changed. And probably since March, we haven't been able to do a single recording without talking about COVID because it's had such an impact on how everybody does business. What has it brought about where credit unions and banks in general are are concerned over the last couple of months? I know that my bank was closed to the public for pretty decent amount of time, a few weeks of do it online or make an appointment to come and see somebody. Yeah, no, I mean, and a lot of that has just shifted online. I mean, credit unions, as you may know, people think of them as their community banking institution and they like to go in and, and there's a lot of branch activity. So when the branch is closed, it was a change in the way that credit unions sort of had to do business, but more importantly, how members of credit unions conducted their financial affairs. You know, credit unions, I mean, a lot of activity at that point went to online tools, sort of mobile banking apps and the home banking and that kind of thing. And those tools were always available, but many people had never used them before. And so people who previously had never done any kind of banking except in a branch 
or at an ATM have been discovering how easy it is to access their money, make deposits, pay bills, and those types of things using their, you know, either their mobile app or just on their their desktops or laptops. And what we have found is branches have started opening up again as people are really sort of anxious to get back in and see their friends. But they're also still now using a lot of digital technology that they didn't before. Yeah. So we did prep for this conversation a little bit earlier, but one thing we didn't talk about is this shortage of change. I can't even remember where we shopped. I mean, we really only go to places like Hannaford and the liquor store. Mm. I don't know about you, but (laughs) one of the places we shopped would not take cash. And so, you know, I got out a credit card and handed it to them. And I said, you think my cash is dirtier, you know, more germy than my credit card? I was kind of being snarky. And they were like, no, we just can't make change. (laughs) And so what's going on? Well, people are not using cash. And with that, when people are not using cash, there's just not a lot of, there are not a lot of coins in circulation. So they're sitting in people's uh, either piggy banks at home or in just on the counter, but people are not using coins. And so they're, therefore they're not getting circulated. You know, a lot of what people are doing these days is, is contactless payments where you don't have to get the credit card out. You know, you point your your phone at the little device and you click a button and it pays that way. So that's, you know, it's been a huge increase in that. But as a result, there's just no coins flying around. So this jar of quarters that I have, is it going to be worth more than what the quarters are worth someday? No, but I can I can promise you that your credit union or your bank would love it if you would actually bring those in and exchange <laughs> them for <laughs> for some dollars. <laughs> And, you know, you're right. It hasn't grown in a while. My husband and I have this habit of, you know, taking the change that gets cumbersome and tossing it in there. And then, you know, when we're going to take a vacation or something, we go cash it in. Well, we can't take vacation. We're not spending any money. So the jar's not growing, but maybe I will bring it to the local bank and do my civic duty. You must save a lot of quarters if you're paying for entire vacations. No, no, no. We're not paying for entire vacations. We're just, we're paying for maybe, you know, a couple of rounds of cocktails. Got it. Of course. Of course. (laughs) So we like to talk about, you know, the crystal ball time, but Mm -hmm. while we're on this topic, so are the credit unions using mobile wallets now or is that coming down the pike? And yeah, yeah, a lot of them are. And it's, it's just, it is an increasing thing that people are, are using. And not every one of them has that yet, but it's certainly something that we know it's all heading in that direction. And so credit unions are, are rapidly adapting that and bringing mobile wallets into their sort of technology portfolio. Yeah, that still scares me. It actually works pretty well. And, you know, just this morning I went out to buy coffee and just pointed my phone at the little machine and it, it accepted my money uh, without me having to get out my wallet at all. So one of the nice things is you can actually forget your wallet, but as long as you have your phone, and we will forget our wallets, but never forget our phones. Well, you're probably right. I won't even talk to my fire stick, okay? (laughs) (laughs) My husband's like, we are not activating Alexa. We're just not doing it. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's very true. But one of the problems of the mobile wallet right now is, of course, our phones used to all react to a thumbprint, and now they want to do facial recognition, but we're all wearing masks. (laughs) So it makes it just one step harder to use the, uh, the mobile wallet. You just have to push in your password, but it's still not as simple as it was supposed to be. Right. 
Yeah, masks, masks. So with your crystal ball, we have mobile wallets today. What are we going to do 10, 20 years from now? How do you see the industry changing? Well, the industry is going mean, to... What's interesting is people talk about going to digital banking and, and doing all their banking online. But you know, one of the things that we have found like post-COVID, well, we're not post-COVID, but once the branches opened up again, was that people really want that personal interaction. They want to deal with people. And so what I think is probably going to be happening is you're going to be seeing more and more sort of interaction with people, but not in person. And so you'll be seeing it on through your phone. You'll be seeing it you know, online. You'll be seeing it through interactive teller machines, ITMs instead of ATMs. Um, and a lot of that's happening already, but we're going to start seeing more of that. That's a really interesting irony that for as technology oriented as everybody has been. And I'm, I think about, you know, the 20 somethings who their idea of a good time is to come home from work and play video games online and never leave their house because they don't have to, they can interact that way. And I mean, I have a 30 something year old son, not that he lives to play video games, but I mean, that was pretty much his MO for the last 10 years or so, you know? And now he's like climbing the walls. He's like, I, I don't want to be on my phone. I want to see somebody in person. I want to. And so I'm wondering how much of what COVID is causing us to keep distance will kind of turn around and make people have a better appreciation for being together in a more together way than digitally. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because we run, we do surveys of people from all ages and all across the state. And find out what they like in a, in a financial institution, you know, what they look for. And one word that frequently comes up is the word convenience. They're always looking for convenience. But when you dig into that word, sometimes it means just easily being able to get on an app and pay a bill. But often it means having a branch nearby. And so even for, for kids who are 20-somethings, as you're saying, they want to have a branch nearby. They want to be able to go in and talk to somebody. And because you can't really get good financial advice or personal service from your phone. So as much as you can do, uh, and you can do a lot, people want to have that interaction so they can make sure they're doing things correctly. So they, you know, they think of people at the credit union or at the bank as, uh, as financial advisors, and they really value that interaction. It's really interesting when you said convenience, it made me think about what's convenient in banking for me. And for me, and maybe it is an age thing, is I want to be able to talk to a person. But there's other businesses that I interact with that I've actually thought, gee, I don't want to have to talk to a person. I just want to get this done. But banking's not one of them. Right. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I am fairly technology savvy and based on my own background. And yet recently I needed a car loan. And I know that I can go online and fill out the application online, but I picked up the phone and called my credit union <laughs> because I had some questions. You know, do I want to do it this way or that way? What's the best way for me to finance the loan? And I want that interaction. This is what they do. And I want to have those conversations with them. Well, we'll certainly have to maintain ways to stay connected. You know, one of the other things that people just need to be aware of, um, and this is Somewhat crystal ball, but somewhat current as well, is just the increase in fraud that is happening out there. And as technology develops, people find more and more ways to try to get your money. And so it's just something that, that people always need to be aware of, is that the increase in 
fraud that we're seeing in in the industry. Yeah, it's never ending. And I think probably three times a year, we write some kind of a blog about, you know, the current school of fraud because it evolves. You know, now there's like CDC fraud happening. And I could only imagine what the susceptibility where most people banking online, the kind of calls they must get. Are you seeing anything new that we should blog about? Well, you know, one of the things that you're saying is that, you know, as a matter of convenience, people are using aggregators. And so, you know, a single service that will then access all of their accounts. And so they can see everything in one place. I can see my American Express card. I can see my Capital One card. I can see my credit union debit cards and credit cards. I can see my loans. I can see everything in one location. But in order to do that, I've had to give that aggregator not just my username and passwords to all these accounts out there, but also the answers to those personal questions about my mother's maiden name and that kind of thing. And so I put all of that information into the aggregator. And so if somebody were able to hack into the aggregator, they would get everything. (laughs) They would have all of my information. And so as technology allows things to become more and more convenient and we start using it more to simplify our lives, we just have to be aware of the fact that we're putting more information out there in ways that make it more accessible. Were you using you as a figure of speech or do you use that aggregator? I actually don't use an aggregator myself. And largely for that reason, I don't want all of my financial information to be in one place. But there are a lot of people who who do. Uh, There's a service called Dave.com, one called Robinhood.com. Very popular. And I think they're probably good platforms. But I'm simply aware of the fact that if I were to use a service like that, I'd be giving them all of my information, all of my bank account, credit card account, loan account, all of my information. They're very convenient. It makes it easy to have one spot where you can manage everything and see everything. But there's a risk for that. Yeah, for sure. Well, anyway, I would like you to let people know where they can find the Credit Union League. Again, well, we talked about the hunger program, but Credit Union League and let people, as you said, you you know serve the public in addition to credit unions. So I'd like people to be able to go and see what you guys do for starters. Yeah. So there are two places people can go. There's maincreditunions.org. And maincreditunions.org is a website that really talks about what credit unions are and why people use a credit union. But also it has a search feature that will help you find a credit union near you. There are 55 credit unions around the state. You can find a credit union near you with that. But one thing that people don't know is that we have something called shared branching in the state of Maine. So you can be a member of one credit union, but can make a deposit at a different credit union into your account because they share the branches. And there are 170 shared branches across the state of Maine. So if you're from Millinocket and you're down in Portland and uh, you need to find a place where you can make a deposit or withdraw some cash, you can go into maincreditunions.org and look for a shared branching branch where you can do that wherever you are. Is the same true for ATMs? Yes, the same is true for ATMs because the um, credit unions in the state have the largest surcharge-free ATM network in Maine. There are 250 ATMs across the state. And you can go to any one of them and withdraw cash without a a surcharge on that. So it makes it convenient sort of across the state. It's the sort of collaborative spirit that you see in the credit union world. That's cool. I had no idea that you could go to a different, not different branch, but essentially a different credit union and 
deposit and withdrawal. That's kind of right. So that information you can find all that where those places are, where those branches are, those ATM machines are, et cetera, at maincreditunions.org. And then of course the other one we mentioned already, which is campaignforendinghunger.org, which talks about that campaign and the work we're doing there and allows people to make contributions to the campaign right on the website. That's awesome. All right. Well, I want to thank you for being with us and giving me personally, and I'm sure others, a bit of an education on credit unions and how things work. That's my pleasure. Admittedly, I was not very well versed in this, (laughs) but I, I have a feeling I might be switching that up because I feel like it's something more community oriented to be involved in a credit union rather than a bank. Oh, it absolutely is. And um, credit unions are very community focused. Uh, and because credit unions are nonprofit organizations, they are there to support their members and not to make a profit. Uh, so when you walk into a credit union, they are there to help you with your financial life and not to try to make a profit off of you. Because any profits the credit union does make goes into lower loan rates and that sort of thing. It's all there for, for the members as opposed to for shareholders. Fabulous. I'll be checking into one myself then. It'd be a good idea. So anyway, I thank you very much and um, maybe we'll talk again sometime soon. I would love to do that, Tracy. Thank you. All right. Stay well. Okay. We'll do. You too. Thanks for listening to Evolution Digital. I'm Tracy Sheckle, and I hope you'll join us again next time. If there's a conversation that you'd like to have here on the podcast, or you know of someone who would make an interesting guest, please visit hotelco.com forward slash evolution dash digital and complete the submission form with your idea. Until next time, stay well.